I'd, what I'd love us to do this evening is to, uh, after I've spoken for a few minutes, come back into worship and uh, really come into a time of receiving from and ministering to one another in the power of the Holy Spirit. God's here amongst us, and it would be great to, uh, to respond in that way, expecting the Spirit's work amongst us. Right, we are in 1 Samuel chapters 9 through 15. We're looking at the story of Saul, king of Israel, first king of Israel, his tragic rise and fall tale. And uh, this morning when I was speaking on this, I was focusing particularly on kind of the, the emotional dynamic, how it seems that Saul's emotions got out of control and how what, that led him into, into trouble. And this uh, amazing pithy quote from Kathy Keller, pull up your uncontrollable emotions by the roots and you'll find your idols clinging to them. And that seems to be what happened to Saul and can so easily happen to us that Saul's emotions went the wrong way. He became somebody who was angry and entitled and arrogant and envious and resentful. All his emotions were out of whack and became destructive to him and to others. And our emotions are that double-edged sword. Our emotions are how we can uh, be the best of ourselves in terms of how we feel and present ourselves and connect with others, but emotions can also be the worst of us as uh, we can allow the kind of things that Saul did to uh, be channeled and uh, the impact upon us and others can be destructive. Uh, this evening I want to focus a bit more on just looking at the way in which Saul squandered the gifts, the blessings, the favor that God had given him. The, the story of Saul coming to be king is a story of him being anointed. He was anointed first with oil, as we'll see, and then he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Uh, the story goes that Saul is out looking for his dad's donkeys. He's got no expectation about becoming king. That's not on his agenda at all, but he's out looking for donkeys. He runs into this prophet priest Samuel and finds something entirely different from the donkeys, although he does get those back as well. This is the story of 1 Samuel chapter 9. I'm going to read from verse 25. After they, Saul and Samuel, came down from the high place to the town, Samuel talked with Saul on the roof of his house. They rose about daybreak, and Samuel called to Saul on the roof, Get ready, and I will send you on your way. When Saul got ready, he and Samuel went outside together. As they were going down to the edge of the town, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And the servant did so. But you stay here for a while, so that I might give you a message from God. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, The donkeys you set out to look for have been found. And now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, what shall I do about my son? Then you should go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to worship God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, tambourines, pipes, and harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. 
Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. When he and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in their prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, What is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? What happens in this story is there is a sequence of prophetic events which are so extraordinary, Saul can be in no possible doubt about what the Lord God is doing in him. First of all, he's anointed by Samuel. Samuel, the great leader, the prophet priest, leader of Israel, gets a flask of oil, pours it upon Saul's head. This is a physical sign of kingship and something which still happens today. When the queen was uh, inaugurated, uh, crowned as queen 70 years ago, part of that involved anointing oil on her forehead. That's what Samuel does to Saul here. And, And this oil being poured out represents... God's blessing and God's authority being poured out upon the head of Saul, who is now going to become head of the people of Israel as his anointed king. But then Saul is going to be shown more to demonstrate the reality of this anointing, the reality of what God is doing. There's a whole sequence of people that Samuel says he's going to meet. First of all, he's going to meet two men at Rachel's tomb. Now, Rachel's tomb is a special place. It's where Jacob buried his wife, Rachel. Jacob, the father of the nation, father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Something's going to happen there. Then he's going to meet three men at a place called Tabor. Now, Tabor was where Barak and Deborah defeated Jabin, king of Canaan. Read the story in the, in the, in the book of Judges. A, a great battle won by Deborah and Barak. Where they overcame the king of Canaan at Tabor. And then he's going to go to a town called Gibeah of God. And that's a significant place. Eliezer, who was son of the first high priest, Aaron, was buried there. His tomb was there. And uh, It was also the scene at the end of the book of Judges where there was one of the most horrific moments in Israel's history where a woman was raped and murdered and the whole thing was just horrific. So this is a a town which kind of stands out in Israel's history. High priest buried there, scene of horrific uh, incident with this poor woman. It's, It's the most Israelite of towns for good and for bad. And now it is occupied by the Philistines. There's a Philistine outpost there. The Philistines have colonized it. But there's a procession of prophets who are going to come down from there and are going to meet Saul. And that procession of prophets, I think, speaks about how the, the real occupier of that place is still the Lord God. The Philistines might be occupying it, but actually it belongs to the Lord. And they're going to be this company of prophets who come from there whom Saul is going to encounter. Samuel says, these things are going to happen. And then Saul sets off on his way, and it says all these signs were fulfilled that day. There were too many coincidences for it to be coincidental. Have you ever had that experience in the Lord, that sometimes things happen which seem like they're coincidental, but are too coincidental just to be coincidental? That's what happens here, that all these signs are fulfilled. Saul meets the two men at Rachel's tomb. He meets the three men at table. He goes to... Uh, to to, to, uh, Gibeah and this procession of prophets comes out and then even that isn't enough because it then says that Saul's heart was changed 
and the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him. Saul's heart was changed, and the Spirit of God comes powerfully upon him. And it's as if Saul begins his kinship, kingship with a kind of a conversion experience. It's a conversion experience. His heart is changed. That's what a conversion experience is. And there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon him. That's what we look for when people come to faith in Jesus Christ, this unusual outpouring of the Spirit. And of course, what happens to Saul here is unusual in the story of the Old Testament. It's not normal in the Old Testament for individuals to receive a powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit like this. That's what happens once we get to the book of Acts, the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God poured out on the church of God because of what Christ has done. It's an amazing story, this incredible prophetic sequence of events which results in Saul being recognized as king. But then five chapters later, Saul has thrown it all away. 1 Samuel 15, 23. Samuel says to Saul, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Saul, despite his incredible history in God, ends up rejecting God's words and in turn is rejected as king. Now this isn't, I think, a question we might read it as, as did Saul lose his salvation? I don't think that question is in view here. It's more a declaration of judgment that he's lost the kingship. He was anointed to be king, and now the kingship is going to be taken from him because of the way in which he's rejected God. And this is similar to the warnings that we read in Galatians 5, this contrast between Life in the flesh and life in the spirit. Galatians 5.19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Samuel speaks to Saul and says, you're losing the kingship. And the warning here in the New Testament is, live this way and you won't inherit the kingdom. It's the same kind of warning. Now, of course, this warning applies to all those who live in opposition to God. Those who are living this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's also a warning, I think, to those of us who know the Lord, who would claim to be citizens of the kingdom of God. That, as we were looking at last week, Sin, corruption can enter in. It can be like the roof of the house gets torn off in a storm, lets the, the rain and the, the weather come in, ends up with destruction. And that seems to be what happened to, to Saul. He's somehow allowed fleshly thinking, sinful, sin, sinful habits to overtake him. He, he'd started so well. He started with such favor, such blessing, such outpoured grace from God. And he ends up sinning in these kinds of ways. And he is rejected as king. Now the tragic reality is that I've seen Christians who've had similar experiences to Saul. And if you've been a Christian for any time yourself, I'm sure you've seen similar things as well. Christians who have, like Saul, perhaps had remarkable experiences of God's favor and blessing, who've known God speaks and prophetically, who've known the outpoured power of the Holy Spirit, known the anointing of God, and then later, 
acted as Saul did and rejected the word of God and suffered the destruction of that. And when we think about this story of Saul, maybe when we think about people that we can perhaps think of, people who maybe once worshipped with us and no longer did and seemed to have rejected the way of God, there's a sense in which Saul seems to choose this. That at every point in his journey, in his life, he had the choice to do things differently. There are particular moments listed in these chapters where he deliberately seemed to, where he evidently sinned against God. And there's moments for him to repent and turn back to God. But again and again and again, rather than repenting as he should, his heart seems to get a little bit colder towards the Lord. And habits of sin seem to become a little bit more ingrained. And his thinking seems to get a bit more fleshly and less in line with the Spirit of God. And the tragedy is it's possible for us to do the same. That we can get out of step with the Spirit. We can allow corruption to start creeping in. We can allow our thoughts to become fleshly. Our actions to start to become fleshly as well. That's why Paul says next in Galatians chapter 5, how we should be living. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Saul had had this extraordinary encounter of the Spirit of God. He'd been anointed physically by Samuel, the oil poured over him. He then met with the procession of prophets. The Spirit of God had come upon him. His heart had been changed. He himself had prophesied. Is Saul amongst the prophets? Saul prophesied at that time. Incredible experience of the Spirit, but then he failed to display the fruits of the Spirit. So tragic when you think about how his kingship had begun with him being Spirit-empowered. That's how it all started for him. Now, for those of us who follow Christ, we are called to not fall into the mistakes of Saul. We're called to submit our emotions to Christ, to kill our idols, to walk in step with the Spirit. And this is where I'd really like us to focus in the rest of our time this evening, to, to, to come before God and to look for a fresh anointing from Him and to pray, ask him that we might walk in step with God. And we've got time to do that. And it'd be great to hear from different people, if the Lord's stirring you, that it's encouragement for us or words or scriptures to bring. might be good to pray for one another as well. We can do that. We can lay hands on each other. I'd love us to, to really ask God that we would be people who keep in step with his Spirit, that we are those who do display the fruits of the Spirit, that we don't betray what God has entrusted to us. Read the story of Saul. It's, just, it's heart-rending. This is a man who had so much going for him, so blessed by God, such incredible encounter with the living God, and yet messed it up so desperately to the point where the kingship was taken from him. And I don't want that for us. <laughs> don't want it for me. And we can see the dangers 
see the dangers of the world, the temptations of the world, the, the, the challenges to faith through following Christ, the pressures we get buffeted by, the temptations we experience, all the, all the things which might knock us off course. And what we need to do is keep coming back to Jesus, keep laying hold of the truth of what Christ has done, keep applying the scripture to us. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Because of what Christ has done, we are freed from the power of sin and death. We are empowered to walk in a way which reflects all he has done for us. We are enabled to keep coming back to him. Yes, if we sin, we come and, re- and he forgives us and enables us to walk with him again. And so I'd love us to respond to God that way this evening and say, Holy Spirit, would you keep us constant? However long it is we've been Christians, however old we are, however uh, more time that God gives us, Lord, let us stay faithful to you. Let us be those who do walk in step with the Spirit, who do display those fruits of genuine life in Christ, that our faith wouldn't be just dead religion, wouldn't be something which is just turn up on a Sunday and go through the rituals, but that we would be living vessels filled with the presence, the empowering presence of God, not squandering what he's entrusted to us, but living in the good of it and displaying it to the world around us. So can we stand and uh, we'll come back into worship and let's be really open to the Spirit of God to lead us as we do this. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Thank you that we have been made new. We come to you and you do change our hearts. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us, even this evening, to uh, be strengthened in you again, to again be helped to keep in step with the Spirit, to have our, our thoughts, our actions, our emotions lined up in line with what is ours in Christ Jesus, that we would display, produce the fruits that are in, in line with what you have done with us. Lord, let us not become people who mistake the, uh, repeat the mistakes of Saul, who stumble or wander or deliberately somehow choose to go into the way of rejecting you, of of, of, of allowing our idols to take control of our emotions and our thoughts and our actions. Lord, in your kindness, would you keep us from that? Lord, we, we, we thank you that you have promised us a kingdom. And Lord, we don't want to jeopardize our inheritance in the way that Saul jeopardized his kingship. And so, Spirit of God, again, invite you here to move amongst us. Pray that we would know you working in us, through us. Pray, come and open our hearts, fill us with fresh delight in our God, all that Jesus is and has done for us. Give us eyes, spiritual eyes open to see the goodness and the glory of the Father, to recognize the wonder of the anointing that we have received from Christ the Messiah. So come and work in us and amongst us now, I pray. Holy Spirit, come and move in this place, move in our hearts, cause us to once more get in step with the living God. Get in step with the Spirit, being people who are full of God, full of life, full of truth. Come and move amongst us now, I pray. Thank you, Lord.